Part One, Chapter Three of the Secret City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Secret City by U. Walpole. Part One, Chapter Three. At this point, I am inevitably reminded of that other Englishman, who two years earlier than Bohun had arrived in Russia with his own pack of dreams and expectations but john trenchard of whose life and death i have tried elsewhere to say something was young bowen's opposite and i do not think that the strange unexpectedness of russia can be exemplified more strongly than by the similarity of appeal that she could make to two so various characters john was shy self-doubting humble brave and a gentleman bowen was brave and a gentleman but the rest had yet to be added to him how he would have patronized Trenchard if he had known him, and yet at heart they were not perhaps so dissimilar. At the end of my story it will be apparent, I think, that they were not. The journey from Newcastle to Bergen, from Bergen to Torneo, from Torneo to Petrograd, is a tiresome business. There is much waiting at custom houses, disarrangement of trains and horses and meals, long wearisome hours of stuffy carriages and grimy window panes. Bowen, I suspect, suffered, too, from that sudden sharp precipitance into a world that knew not discipline and, and wrecked nothing of the granta. Obviously, none of the passengers on the boat from Newcastle had ever heard of discipline. They clutched in their hands the work of Mr. Oppenheim, Mr. Compton Mackenzie, and Mr. O'Henry, and looked at Bowen, I imagine, with indifferent superiority. He had been told at the foreign office that his especial travelling companion was to be jerry lawrence if he had hoped for anything from this direction one glance at jerry's brick-red face and stalwart figure would have undeceived him jerry although he was now thirty-two years of age looked still very much the undergraduate my slight acquaintance with him had been in those earlier cambridge years through a queer mutual friend Dune, who at that time seemed to promise so magnificently, who afterwards disappeared so mysteriously. You would never have supposed that Lawrence, captain of the university rugger during his last two years, captain of the English team through all the internationals of the season 1913-1914, could have had anything in common except football with Dune, artist and poet if there ever was one but on the few occasions when i saw them together it struck me that football was the very least part of their common ground and that was the first occasion on which i suspected that jerry lawrence was not quite what he seemed i can imagine lawrence standing straddleways on the deck of the jupiter his short thick legs wide apart his broad back indifferent to anything and everybody his rather plump ugly good-natured face staring out to the sea as though he saw nothing at all he always gave the impression of being half asleep. He had a way of suddenly lurching on his legs, as though in another moment his desire for slumber would be too strong for him, and would send him crashing to the ground. He would be smoking an ancient briar, and his thick red hands would be clasped behind his back. No encouraging figure for Bohun's aestheticism. I can see, as though I had been present, Bohun's approach to him, his patronizing introduction his kindly suggestion that they should eat their meals together, Jerry's smiling, lazy acquiescence. Can imagine how Bowen decided to himself that he must make the best of this chap, 
after all it was a long tiresome journey and anything was better than having no one to talk to but jerry unfortunately was in a bad temper at the start he did not want to go out to russia at all his father old stephen lawrence had been for many years the manager of some works in petrograd in the first fifteen years of jerry's life had been spent in russia i did not at that time when i made jerry's acquaintance at cambridge know this had i realized it i would have understood many things about him which puzzled me he never alluded to russia never apparently thought of it never read a russian book had it seemed no connection of any kind with any living soul in that country old lawrence retired and took a fine large ugly palace in clapham to end his days in suddenly after lawrence had been in france for two years had won the military cross there and as he put it was just settling into his skin the authorities realized his russian language and decided to transfer him to the british military mission in petrograd his anger when he was sent back to london and informed of this was extreme he had at the least desire to return to russia he was very happy where he was he had forgotten all his russian i can see him saying very little looking like a sulky child and kicking his heel up and down across the carpet just the man we want out there lawrence he told me someone said to him keep them in order keep them in order that tickled his sense of humour he was to laugh frequently afterwards when he thought of it he always chewed a joke as a cow chews the cud so that he was in no pleasant temper when he met bowen on the decks of the jupiter the journey must have had its humours for any observer who knew the two men during the first half of it i imagined that bowen talked and lawrence slumbered bowen patronized was kind and indulgent and showed very plainly that he thought his companion the dullest and heaviest of mortals then he told lawrence about russia he explained everything to him the moral psychology fighting qualities strengths and weaknesses the climax arrived when he announced but it's the mysticism of the russian peasant which will save the world that adoration of god rot interrupted lawrence bone was indignant of course if you know better he said i do said lawrence i lived there for fifteen years ask my old governor about the mysticism of the russian peasant he'll tell you bowen felt that he was justified in his annoyance as he said to me afterward the fellow had simply been laughing at me he might have told me about his having been there at that time to bowen the most terrible thing in the world was to be laughed at after that bowen asked jerry questions but jerry refused to give himself away i don't know he said i've forgotten it all i don't suppose i ever did know much about it at haparanda most unfortunately bowen was insulted the swedish customs officer there tired at the constant appearance of self-satisfied gentlemen with red passports decided that bowen was carrying medicine in his private bags bowen refused to open his portmanteau simply because he was a courier and wasn't going to be insulted by a dirty foreigner nevertheless the dirty foreigner had his way and bowen looked rather a fool jerry had not sympathized sufficiently with bowen in this affair he only grinned bowen told me indignantly afterwards no sense of patriotism at all after all englishmen ought to stick together finally bowen tested jerry's literary knowledge jerry seemed to have none he liked fielding and a man called farnall and jack london 
he never read poetry but a strange thing he was interested in greek he had bought the works of euripides and aeschylus in the loeb library and he thought them thundering good he had never read a word of any russian author never anna never war and peace never karazmazov never chekhov no never bowen gave him up end of part one chapter three